Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it. It's okay. You're addicted to Dynasty and I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. Strangely, that's a freak with two E's. I love the NFL. I watch every game every week. I love drafting, trading, scouting, and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store uh, today in episode number 72. It's the end of the season. Uh, Took a little bye week last week and did not make a podcast for you last week. I apologize, but life gets busy. And so this week we'll be kind of summarizing both the semifinal week, week number 15 in the NFL, and the finals week, week number 16 in the NFL. I hope that you brought home some championships or to maybe more than one. I know I was only able to bring home one title out of 10 leagues, which was a terrible disappointment for me since I did make it to the semifinals in five out of 10 leagues. But we all know that's just how fantasy football works. At least we're playing in Dynasty, right? So we can keep building our teams in the offseason. So before we turn our eyes to the offseason, which I'm really looking forward to that new part of the season where we start to look at rookies, and I'll be writing a lot about that, evaluating the previous year and previous years, giving you some tips about things that you should be doing at this time of year um, as Dynasty owners, as well as just getting into that rookie class, which is going to be a lot of fun as well. But before we do, just kind of a summary of the season, maybe you're making your commute home from wherever you went to visit uh, this Christmas. thought that I'd offer a few reflections as I looked back on week number 15 and 16. Part of it will be reason for us to rejoice if we were in the favorable of these situations, and part of it we can actually grieve together <laughs> because of some of the unexpected things uh, that happen in week 15 and 16. So let's jump in. Here's seven things that I looked at from this last two weeks of play. First is that the unexpected players were started in the playoffs and they actually carried their teams to victory. This is pretty frustrating, right? It's great if you had these players on your team and you had the guts to put them in the starting lineup. But I went through all the Super Bowls in my leagues and just looked at some of the starting lineups, and there were definitely players started in the Super Bowl that no one would have expected to be starting in the Super Bowl, let alone to be on rosters uh, this late in the season. So, like most years, that happens, right? So first would be, of course, Brashad Perryman. He scored 35 points in the semifinals while Mike Evans was out with an injury. Then he scored 17 points in the finals while Chris Godwin and Evans were out. This was crazy. Teams who trusted that he'd be the most targeted Buccaneer, they were rewarded. Uh, I know I lost in a league where I played against him in the semifinals when he scored those 35 points, but I also won a league where I started him these last two weeks. And so that's just how things go. Brashad Perriman, out of nowhere, I think largely due to Evans um, and um, Godwin's injuries. I don't think this is a long-term great you know, dynasty hold, but, man, if you grabbed him at the right time and started him, given the number of catches he's going to have in their absence those two weeks, uh, you sure capitalized. Second, uh, teams bold enough to start Kenyon Drake were rewarded with 42 points in the semifinals and 36 points in the finals. Totally ridiculous. Drake had twice as many carries as he had in weeks 13 and 14. So this, this really did come out of nowhere. He was kind of becoming the starting back there, but no one expected him to double up his carries from the previous two weeks. But that's exactly what he did. One owner in one of my leagues was bold enough to start Drake over Austin Eckler in the semifinals, and he won because of it. I know, because he was playing me, and he just ran me over uh, with Drake. So uh, he won, uh, beat me in the finals. Kenyon Drake was not someone that we expected to be starting. Third guy that was an unexpected player who carried teams to the playoffs was Tyler Higby. 
uh, Higby was a late season waiver wire addition. So he really was. He wasn't on many rosters. I remember even late in the season recommending him as my number one pickup for the week uh, when, when Everett went down. But everyone thought once Everett got healthy, they were probably going to go back to a split. They weren't really sure that Higby had really earned it since Everett was playing better than Higby at the start of the year before Everett's injury. But he had those three great games in a row. And so owners who were bold enough to uh, start him, even though Everett was uh, presumably healthy and ready to go, rewarded because he stayed in the lineup and once again had 100 yards receiving. I should say I know because I played against him in a Super Bowl and lost, right? This is just how it goes. And finally, this is the one you really have to laugh at. You have to laugh when you're starting Ryan Fitzpatrick in your Super Bowl lineup. But many teams did this last week, and it's crazy. They were rewarded with four touchdowns and 400 yards passing, and it felt like it really should have been more because the bulk of that was in the first half. And uh, those who started Fitzpatrick were bold enough to do so. Man, their teams ran away uh, with a playoff win. Unbelievable. That was my first observation. Some very unexpected players were started, and they carried their teams to Super Bowl wins. Second overall observation from weeks uh, 15-16 is that many rookies, or we'll just say two, we'll talk about two of them now, impacted uh, their teams in the playoffs. So these are two great ones, in my opinion. First was Miles, Miles Sanders. He saved his, his uh, best two games of the year for these last two games, helping us in our semifinals and finals. In the semifinals, he scored 35 points. In the finals, he scored 24 points. Could have been much more because if you saw, he had that long run where he just slid down and just, just chose to help run out the clock. Unreal. So if Sanders' owners waited a long time before comfortably starting him in their lineups, they just kind of had to wait because he wasn't fully getting it. But since Jordan Howard went down, they started to give him more and more touches, and people started to confidently put him in their lineup, and he sure proved it, scoring, like I said already, his best two games of the year these last two weeks. Incredible. Uh, The Eagles finally saw what they hoped to see in Sanders when they drafted him in the the second round. And so... uh, He's a, they're running back for the future, I think, in Philadelphia, and he's finally had his breakout games uh, to prove it. Another rookie that helped, particularly in the semifinals, but also significantly in the finals, but more so in the semifinals, is rookie uh, A.J. Brown. Uh, he really solidified himself as the top wide receiver weapon in Tennessee overall the last number of weeks of the season. And in the semifinals, he scored 24 points in a single game, while then in the final, he only scored 15. And that's pretty wild because he only did it on one catch, but he did have a 49-yard touchdown run. So that actually really helped at least uh, give him a decent score in the finals. But either way, uh, these guys at the end of the season, Sanders and A.J. Brown, clearly broke out. This gives me a lot of joy to talk about them because these are two, two guys that I was a lot higher on last year during the rookie draft than everyone else. I had Miles Sanders as my number two overall pick and A.J. Brown as my number four overall pick. It took some time, but these guys, these guys proved that they were the guys that I thought they were and that the guys that the teams that drafted them thought they were here at the end of the season. Helped many teams in the Super Bowls. It's always fun to see our rookies doing that. Third observation I have for the whole week would be, I think that there are new number ones at each positional ranking. There are new number ones at each position. Um, as the fantasy season come to an end, uh, there are new number ones at every position in my rankings, and I'm sure for many other analysts as well. The first really to jump up to number one this year, this season, was Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he pretty quickly moved up to the number one, running back in my rankings uh, pretty quickly in the year, passing up guys like Barkley and Kamara and Elliott, who were ranked ahead of him when the season started. Uh, he's on pace to, be, to have the third ever season with 1,000 yards receiving and 1,000 yards running. We'll see what happens here in week number 17. It's ridiculous, too, because he touches the ball 25, 24 times per game, and he just doesn't get injured. 
it's hard to say whether uh, playing with backup quarterbacks this year hurt him because you could argue that maybe it gave him few opportunities to score because they just had backup quarterbacks. Or you could argue that it helped him. You could say he probably got a lot more checkdown passes from the backup quarterback. Not really sure which way to believe on that. But either way, he's shown that he is the number one ranked running back. Even though Barkley finally looked like himself there in the last week, I still have uh, Christian McCaffrey, CMC, number one in the running back rankings. That happened pretty quickly in the season. Then this one happened for the receiver position. It probably happened about midway through the season. Midway through the season, I moved Michael Thomas to be my number one uh, wide receiver in my rankings. He's just completely unstoppable. I think his Twitter handle name is right. It's Can't Guard Mike. Well, pretty appropriate because no one can seem to do so. He set a career record, of course. You saw that last week for receptions in a season with one more week to play. So he's got 145 receptions, breaking Marvin Harrison's record. And now he's still got a few more or one more game, obviously, to play. And again, he did what he did last year. He led wide receivers in catch rate, which is really incredible. Last year, he was something near 90%. This year, he's 82% catch rate, the number one ranked catch rate among wide receivers. He has uh, outscored the rest of the receivers by 74 points in half PPR. So pretty quick, crazy. He, in my rankings, he pretty quickly, by midseason, jumped ahead of guys that I had ranked ahead of him, like Devontae Adams and uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, midway through the season, I moved him up to number one. The only knock on him, why I kept him, why I didn't move him up to number one faster, was his uh, connection with Drew Brees, just because the age of Drew Brees being younger, uh, much older. That's why I kept Hopkins ahead of him for a long time, because I really love Hopkins and think Hopkins is an incredible, um, incredible player. And then he was also linked, of course, to Deshaun Watson, who will be his quarterback for what you would assume to be years and years to come. And so from that standpoint, I kept Hopkins ahead of Thomas for a while, but about midway through the season, Thomas had to jump him, and he did. The next player to jump to a number one spot in my rankings was George Kittle. Kittle moved ahead of Kelsey and Ertz, who I ranked ahead of him uh, when the season started, but Kittle to simply just put the 49ers on his back these last three weeks in the fantasy season with 280 yards receiving and 24 receptions, two touchdowns, like literally carrying players down the field to win games. Um, So I just think that a couple things. Ertz's value has really dropped since Goddard has been more involved. So Ertz has actually dropped quite a bit further. And there's guys like Mark Andrews who have jumped ahead of Ertz in my rankings as well. Um, still, I'm reluctantly keeping Evan Ingram ahead of Ertz right now too, just given uh, given what I see in Daniel Jones and the way he has targeted his tight end. Hopefully Ingram will come back healthy and uh, he'll really shine again um, there in, in New York. But Kittle jumped ahead. Um, Kelsey was just as dominant. He just barely beat him out as far as the number one tight end on the season thus far uh, in the year. But I think Kelsey's four years older. And so it's time to move Kittle uh, up to the number one. I do think, too, that he's definitely the number one targeted receiver there. He's shown that the last number of weeks especially. So Kittle's number one. And finally, the last player that I moved, it took till this week, but I finally made a change at my quarterback. And I did move Lamar Jackson to be the number one quarterback in my rankings. I had a hard time moving him ahead of uh, Patrick Mahomes, but I finally did this week. I think it's just his rushing ability and what what I call like the free fantasy points that it adds to each game. Like you know he's going to get about 70 yards, so it's just like adding seven points to hit before the game starts. You know he's going to get it. Um, and I think this year he actually has really grown as a passer. I mean, you can't lead the league in touchdowns for no reason, right? Like he's doing something right. He's improved as a passer. It still concerns me that it brings up so many of his passes or to his running backs and tight ends, but it seems like they've really built an offense around that. My only concern, actually, given that that fact, is that uh, Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, might get a head coaching job, 
And I wonder if his departure, uh, maybe even one more year of defensive coordinators studying film on Baltimore, could result in some less effectiveness uh, for the years to come. But for now, I reluctantly moved Jackson ahead of Mahomes in my rankings. Uh, He was the highest rise among my rankings, too, because when the season started, he was ranked in the teens for me. But now he's jumped all the way up to number one. Obviously, most of the teams that won in our fantasy Super Bowls likely had Lamar Jackson. I know the one that I had, I had Lamar Jackson. So that's how it goes. So that was one observation I had that that, I put new number ones. There's people in the number one position at each of my positional rankings that was not number one to start the season. Next observation is that three teams have decisions to make regarding their rookie quarterbacks, while two teams have what I call their man of the future nailed down. Uh, Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke, I think that they did enough at the end of the year to make their, their team's quarterback decisions much tougher. Whereas Gardner Minshew, on the other hand, he really cooled off after he regained the starting role in, uh, for the season. Washington could have a top pick in the draft, and they could, they could really be put in a similar uh, situation as the Cardinals were last year. Haskins could even be traded like Josh Rosen was traded uh, last year by, by Arizona if they decide that they like one of these 2020 prospects more than Haskins. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. Um, I liked what Haskins did, but I wouldn't be completely convinced. And if I was the Redskins, I would try to make a move very much like Arizona did. And if they like one of these other quarterbacks better, go ahead and get him and get rid of Haskins. We'll see uh, what will happen, but it could be very, very similar to last year. Uh, Denver should also be have a reasonably high draft pick, so a quarterback might be available to them. Um, theirs is a little bit more sketchy because Locke was injured for so much of the season that it really didn't give Denver a chance to fully assess uh, his value. Uh, not, not like Washington, who really got you know basically a half season out of Haskins. Denver just got these last three, four games. Um, he's not played as many games, so they have to decide with far less context whether they believe in him or not. I don't think that I've seen enough to be a believer in Locke personally. Um, at the same time, uh, depending on where they're going to draft, I don't know if they're going to have the opportunity to draft one of these top quarterbacks. They might wait instead to the second round, kind of like they did uh, this last year. I was not a fan of Locks during the draft process last year, and I don't think he's done enough to make me totally believe in him, um, even though he's played better than I would have thought. Jacksonville with Minshew, though, um, it feels like, one, they've already made one decision by starting Minshew over Foles after Foles came back from his injury, but certainly he didn't do enough to prove it. it was the right decision. It's hard to know what's going on in Jacksonville, whether that kind of culture there is just completely beat down and Coughlin was let go, and it looks like maybe their coaching staff's going to be let go, but maybe Coughlin was the problem, they're saying. There's a chance, actually, the players might rally around uh, their head coach, but it's just not happening there, I don't think. Minshew created quite a buzz in the fan base, making him a lot harder to bench just because the Minshew mania started to happen there, but feelings may have soured not just among the coaching staff, but among the fan base too, and once that happens, I think anything could happen. Jacksonville's up in the air. Um, and then those are the three that I would say have real tough decisions about what they're going to do with the draft because their, their rookie quarterbacks didn't prove enough. Well, there's two actually that I think have. Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones obviously have proven to be capable franchise quarterbacks. Uh, They were two of the most controversial picks in last year's draft, really, because many thought drafting Murray was crazy because Murray was far too too small uh, to be a franchise quarterback. And there were all the questions that were swirling around Cliff Kingsbury's offense and whether it would work in the NFL or not. But Murray ended up finishing as a number 10 quarterback this year. Pretty steady, too. Never really had, like, enormous games, just a steady performer. And it looks like Clean Kingsbury's uh, offense proved to be viable as well in the NFL. So he's there to stay. Daniel Jones, same thing. He was controversial in a different reason. He was controversial when the Giants drafted him because he was the second quarterback pick at number six 
while most draft analysts had other quarterbacks rated higher than Jones. So it was a very controversial pick. Also because of what it meant for Eli Manning, whom Jones would compete with to start for the Giants. He didn't begin the year as a starter, of course, but ended the year um, once he became the starter. He really ended the year as the number 14 quarterback based on average points per game. So he did fumble and throw a lot of interceptions. So a lot of fumbles, a lot of interceptions at such a high rate. Um, if, if he wouldn't have thrown those, he would have finished much higher than number 14. But those are very improvable type of mistakes. You can prevent, you can grow to not fumble, to not throw interceptions. And so I think uh, they've got their quarterback of the future there uh, with the Giants as well. So a few questions that people are going to have to make some tough decisions. Teams will make some tough decisions in the draft, whereas two teams found their guy of the future. Next thing that I'd say, and also related to quarterbacks, the observation is that two teams need to re-sign their quarterbacks to new contracts. Uh, that would be Tampa Bay and Tennessee with Jameis Winston and Ryan Tannehill. Um, both teams um, have played well enough um, to not be in the running for the top quarterbacks in the NFL draft, so that kind of takes them out of prime position to get one of these top quarterbacks. Um, but besides that, I think that they both did enough to prove that they should be re-signed and given the chance to be their team's starters. Of course, Winston was super careless with the ball. We all know that. Um, he could possibly set the record for interceptions and um, touchdowns this year, depending on how we go, things go in Week 17. Obviously, those are very infuriating, uh, those type of turnovers that we had there. But um, he's also with a coaching staff that really, for the most part, tolerates interceptions like most, quarter, most uh, coaches wouldn't. And he's with, of course, and Bruce Arians, a coach that loves to throw the ball downfield, which is exactly what Jameis does, and they've got the players and Evans and Godwin and Howard to throw the ball down downfield to. So I feel like one other thing that's to mention is that their defense is rapidly improving. And so as their defense is improving, um, I think that really what they need to do is draft one of these top running backs in the draft. And if they got this top running back, or some have even suggested trade for uh, uh, DJ, for uh, David Johnson, and if they did that, kind of reuniting David Johnson back with Arians, that would be pretty wild. So I think either way, they're going to get another running back there in there in Tampa Bay. And as the defense improves, I think Jameis is going to have to put a little less on his shoulders. And hopefully that would improve his turnover because he won't turnover ratio because he won't have to try to win the games for them in and of himself. Either way, I feel like he deserves it. Uh, as much as he's a bad NFL quarterback sometimes, he's a fantastic uh, fantasy quarterback. And has finished among the top five this year as well. Next is uh, Ryan Tannehill. I think that he should be resigned too. It's uh, fresh. He's frustrating his own way because he's on an offense that passes the ball less than 20 times per game on average. Um, even so, he's been incredibly efficient, though. And he was ranked as the number 10 quarterback in average points per game since he was named the starter. And so he's the perfect type of quarterback for his coaching staff, which relies on efficient, you know, wants an efficient quarterback because they have a good running game and a great defense. Like, I think that's what they want to do. And if that's who they are and they've been built out to do that with young guys around them, um, I feel like that's what they should do. Go ahead and re-sign Tannehill and let him improve his chemistry with A.J. Brown and let them continue to be a run-first team and him try to be as efficient as he can like he has this year. Next thing I'll mention that I saw as an observation, a little thing thinking about the future here. This is kind of what I'll mention instead of uh, normally I do a waiver wire edition and talk about some players to pick up. That's kind of where I'm throwing in with this point here. And that's this, that there are two fringe wide receivers that are worth stashing on Rosters. Uh, two wide receivers on teams with suspect death charts have been worth picking up here at the end of the season. I picked them up in several leagues, and I'm eager to hold on to them, actually, this offseason, just to see uh, what their teams do in draft and the draft and in free agency. 
First is Greg Ward, a former quarterback in college, but he's emerged as a leading receiver in Philadelphia these last few weeks. Um, and when you think about their depth chart, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Je- Jeffrey are under contract, but it seems like they're both always injured. Aguilar is likely to, to leave the team in free agency, and poor J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who um, he just didn't make the most of his opportunities at the end of the year, though I'm still hopeful for him. I had too high of a value on him coming into the draft to give up on him yet. I, I got I to gotta trust him what I saw in his college tape and hope that he can figure some things out. I'm holding on the ward, though, because I want to see what the Eagles do this offseason with this whole wide receiver depth with the injured guys in Jackson and Jeffrey, the rookie with uh, Whiteside who didn't prove anything, Aguilar who's likely going to leave. Um, Ward really did some great things here at the end of the year, so he's worth stashing and holding on to. Second guy is uh, Steven Sims from Washington. He was the most targeted wide receiver in Washington in the last two weeks, and he scored three touchdowns. Now, I know Terry McLaurin rightfully is solidified there as a, as a solid starter and the deep threat and really the playmaker for Washington, but no one else has solidified a role there um, in Washington, so I think this one's really wise just to hold on to Sims to see what could happen. Trey Quinn was injured for much of the year. Um, he'll be on the team next year, but he couldn't beat out the rookies this year, and so that says something about him. Um, I'm actually still way higher on Kelvin Harmon. Again, kind of like Arthago Whiteside with Kevin Harmon, I was way higher on him than most people were in the rookie drafts last year. And so I am a little biased there, but I'm holding on to Harmon, uh, hoping that he can do something. But the truth is that if you looked at it, Sims was the one who held off Harmon and Paul Richardson here at, at the end of the year. And so I'm going to hold on to him and see if Washington uh, does the same. I think that he's the one to hold on to. Final and last thing that I'll mention uh, real briefly is that I made observations from these last two weeks is that at least five teams need to target quarterbacks in the NFL draft. At least five teams need to, need to target quarterbacks in the NFL draft. Cincinnati and Miami, they're surely going to draft quarterbacks this year in the NFL draft. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It will be interesting to see what happens with Fitzpatrick, what happens with uh, Andy Dalton. I think that they'll both uh, – it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. They will probably, probably be on different teams if – uh, rookies are drafted. Um, but that said, they could let Rosen go and let Fitzpatrick kind of groom whoever comes in there at Miami. I don't think they're going to do the same in Cincinnati, though. Uh, they need new quarterbacks. They're actually going to be up near the top of the draft, so I think it's going to be pretty easy for them to do so. The other ones, though, that I think are also need to, to draft quarterbacks this next year is Indianapolis, Oakland, and the Los Angeles Chargers. They really need to draft quarterbacks. So for Indianapolis, Jacoby Brissett, I mean, he looked awful to end the season. Uh, he was incredibly inaccurate. Uh, I think that he's a very capable backup, and he had, he's, you know, shined and had a few good points during the season. But I just think he shouldn't be thought to be the quarterback of the future in Indianapolis. He just doesn't have what it takes. They need to draft a quarterback. Derek Carr for the Raiders. I don't believe that he's a long-term answer in Oakland either. He's a safe quarterback, and he rarely throws interceptions, and he has a high completion percentage. That's, those are the things you like about him. But that's just because he checks down all the time. He's always taking the safest route and. He's just become a different kind of quarterback that just is highly efficient in this, when you look at you know completion percentage and safety with the ball, but that's just not enough to win games. And I think the Raiders need a quarterback upgrade, and they have a, definitely have the picks to make it happen given all the trades that they made. They're definitely, I think they're going to definitely draft a quarterback. Poor Carr. And then last would be Phillip Rivers. It's sad, but it looks like Rivers is taking a path of Eli Manning, really similar to what happened to Eli at the end of last year. Next year, I think that he could be benched if if the Chargers draft a quarterback uh, like the Giants did, and I really believe that they need to do so. So those McCraws, you know, when you think about quarterbacks changing, you think about what does it mean for all the targets and the receivers and the running game, everything on the offense when a quarterback changes. So could go good, could go bad, but all those teams definitely, in my opinion, need a 
change at quarterback this offseason. Well, that's going to do it this week. Uh, thanks for listening for our wrap-up of the season. I look forward to walking with you guys through the offseason and offering many tips and tricks and ideas on things that you should be doing at this time of the year uh, on your Dynasty Leagues. As always, you can make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com or just through the website, dynastyfreaks.com. I am much better on email than I am on Twitter, so do send me an email. I would respond to every email. Pride myself on that. As always, you know what to do until next time. Rate and review, and then go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.